Welcome to the podcast of Grace Community Bible Church. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged, and inspired by this message. For other sermons or more information, visit us at gracebiblechurch.org.au. You know, often we hear in the news that there's either this man or this woman that has suddenly gone crazy and has either killed their precious children or some other youngster who's walked into a school and has massacred a whole bunch of people. And as, as believers, as we think about it, even though unbelieving world to some extent would say, oh, what an atrocity, what, what an evil. And yet we know from the Bible and just in terms of what theologians call it, the reason why people do that is because of something called a sin. See, theologians talk about the doctrine of total depravity. And it's that all of us human beings, as we are born, we are born in sin. And that sin has tainted our everything, our thinking, our desire, our willing, our every aspect of us. It doesn't mean that all of us will be uh, doing evil to the maximum level like a Hitler or a Jack the Ripper or any other uh, atrocious person that we might know from history. But it does mean that we all have the same heart, a heart that is bound to sin and therefore that is tainted by sin and cannot do anything uh, that pleases God, unless God himself intervenes. And this morning we're going to see that, particularly through the verses that we've read from the life of Cain. Now last week we saw how life began outside the garden, away from that face-to-face close communion with God, living in that sin-cursed world as the next generation of Adam and Eve, their their two uh, boys, as they explained as how they uh, live life. And we see there how even in a sin-cursed world, for, for people who have this sin nature, God has provided a way by which man can still relate back to God, where man can still approach God through the provision he has given. We saw last week that Cain brought some of the fruit from the ground. Now, nothing was particularly wrong with bringing the fruit from the ground, but we saw that ultimately, Cain, for Cain, this was just a thing that he did. That God did not have first place in his life. It was just a ritual for him, or even more so, he was bringing his, some of his Best efforts, he's basically showing to God, here are my efforts, so now I can relate to you on my terms. And yet, Abel, on the other hand, recognized his sin and his sin nature, that he cannot approach God like that. He's a nobody. And the only way he can approach God is through a blood sacrifice. And so he offers his best the first flock and their fat portions, and it's a blood sacrifice because he recognized that uh, an innocent life had to be shed as God had shown to his parents, 
to come and approach God. And I want to remind you, even as you look in the Old Testament, see, the issue is not uh, purely the idea of a blood sacrifice. Because many a times God will tell the people of Israel, I'm sick of your sacrifices. I'm sick of your animal sacrifices. Because you, you, you know, on the one side, you seem to acknowledge me this way through your sacrifices, yet your heart is so far away from me. I'm sick of that. I don't want that kind of sacrifice. So the issue is not just the blood sacrifice, but it's the fact that Abel's heart was fully devoted to God. And that showed in the way that he recognized his sin, in the way he recognized God and gave him the due uh, honor and glory that was due him. And so he came before him with that blood sacrifice. And so God accepted Abel's sacrifice and rejected Cain's sacrifice. So the issue wasn't that Cain was a bad guy and uh, Abel was the good guy like he didn't have any sin. No, they were both sinners. The difference was Abel recognized it and therefore approached God accordingly with the provision that God had made and Cain did not. And today we will see more so of how Cain confirms to us of how he is somebody who is lost in sin. He's the, the archetype example of an unbeliever who is lost in sin. And by looking at this, I hope that we will be reminded both of the vileness of our sin, because this was our state too when we, we started off our life without God and without Christ. But even as we look at God's interaction with, with Cain as well, we will recognize the, the immeasurable grace that God has shown to sinners. By way of outline, I've got two points. Firstly, we'll look at Cain's response to God's rejection. And we're going to see that in verses 6 through 8. And then secondly, we're going to look at God's response to Cain's rebellion in verses 9 through to 16. So firstly, Cain's response to God's rejection. Verse 6. Treats the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? Now the last part of verse 5, uh, Genesis 4-5, we briefly looked at it last week. Uh, it says there, so Cain was very angry and his face fell. It literally reads there that it burned to Cain exceedingly. Meaning Cain was so angry at God for rejecting his hard-earned effort you know, his hard work in the field that he had brought before God, thinking he'd be made right with God. And when God rejected that, now he's hot with anger. He's fuming, he's, he's boiling, and it's showing on the outside. There is a visible difference on his face. He's downcast with anger. See, when someone's angry... You know, they don't have a 
happy, uh, upturned face. No, they, they, have, they have a downturned face. And that's the kind of state that Cain is in. And in this state, it says now in verse 6, now the Lord addresses Cain. And I love this. See, because God, yes, God rejected Cain's uh, great efforts to relate to God and thinking he can somehow make himself right to God. But think about it. That rejection in itself should should have made it clear to Cain that there is a problem with him. Instead, Cain in his sinful pride thinks, how dare God reject my offering and my efforts? See, Cain thinks he's fine. He thinks the problem is with God. That's how blind Cain is in his sin. His sinful pride is hurt. And so Cain is furious. It now shows on his face. uh, and, And really what's on the inside is now coming out on the outside. And God could have just left him that way. And there would be nothing wrong with God doing that. But I love this fact that God now addresses Cain. This shows God's grace to Cain. See, first, God questions Cain. He says, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? See, God sees the heart and he knows exactly what is going on with Cain. But the reason why God questions Cain is the same reason why he questioned Adam and Eve. So that now Cain can examine the situation and his own heart, see what's wrong, and that he would be able to see his sin and confess it and ultimately turn away from it. And this is true everywhere in the Bible. Whenever in the Bible God questions a person, it is never because God does not know. God is omniscient. He knows everything. It is because God is getting the person to see their own heart and sin and giving them an opportunity to confess their sin and to turn away from it. So God questions Cain so that he would see why he was so angry, so he would examine his heart, that he would understand that the problem was with him. But God continues, and he continues to be gracious with Cain, even though he's He's just boiling and there's steam coming out of his ears. And God actually spells out how he can be made right with God. And he even tells him if he doesn't do that, there's a great danger that's awaiting him. In verse 7, God continues speaking to Cain. He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do well, Cain, if if you do what is truly good, if you do what is pleasing in my sight, if you come and put your trust in me, if you come and recognize that you are truly a sinner, 
and that there's a need for a blood sacrifice, will you not be accepted, Cain? Now the word here for accepted, it's more literally uh, lifted up. Now the NASB translation captures the essence a bit more of what's being said here. Uh, It reads, if you do well, will your face not be cheerful? Yeah, God is saying, instead of being angry and being downcast, if you do what is right by trusting in me and coming to me for the forgiveness of your sin through that blood sacrifice, if you do what is right, won't you have a cheerful countenance again, knowing that now you're in right relationship with me? Because you know that now by doing this, your sins are forgiven and you will have a clear conscience before me? And so therefore, you can be free and you can, you can have a cheerful heart again. See, God is saying, Cain, this is what you must do to get yourself right with me. But God doesn't just say, this is what you must do to get yourself right with me. He also says, this is, let me give you a warning as well as to what will happen if you do not do this. He says, Cain, there's a grave danger that you are facing if you do not deal with your sin. It's not going to be good for you. God says, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you and you must rule over it. Now, this is the first time in the Bible the term sin is used. And it's significant. Not because the the idea or the concept of sin is not there in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve sin, or with what the serpent says as though that's not sinful. But there's a difference. In Genesis 3, Eve had to be manipulated and even deceived to be turned away from God to sin. Because initially they had uh, an innocent nature. But now because the sin nature is so inherent in the person, Cain does not even want to listen to God. God himself is speaking to him and he doesn't want to listen to God and turn away from him. And sin here, it's likened to an animal. Not a, you know, nice, tame animal or a, you know, like a pet that listens to you and things like that. No, no it's more described as a wild animal that is ready to devour you. God is saying this sin nature is in you. If you do not do anything about it right now, it will consume you and it will destroy you. In other words, God is saying, the more you give in to your sin, the more you are going to be consumed by it. The more you are going to be enslaved by it.
Don't give in to your sin. Turn to me, God says. Trust in me and my provision for sin. And you will be forgiven of your sin. And you won't be ruled by your sin. I mean, God is being so gracious to Cain, isn't he? I mean, Cain is angry at God. So angry, almost foaming at the mouth against God. And God here graciously comes and tells him, there's a way by which you can be forgiven of your sins. But if you continue in your sin, it will lead you to your ruin. See, at least at this point, the right response that Cain should have had is, Lord, oh, thank you for making this so clear to me. You know, I I would have just continued to dishonor you and I would have been miserable trying to do things in my own effort and I would have gone down the path which would be for my own ruin and ultimate death. But thank you for being so gracious to me. And then for him to turn away from his sin and to turn to God and do what is right. But Cain doesn't do that. No. He doesn't believe in God. He doesn't believe in the goodness of God. See, there's this repeated refrain when you read the book of Deuteronomy. That it may go well with you. That it may go well with you. And God says there in that book that, you know, walking according, you know, walk according to my ways that it may go well with you. That if you walk according to God's ways, it is for your own good. It is not to harm you. It is not for your ruin to walk according to my ways. But it is how you will experience my goodness, God says. See, walking according to God's ways is life in itself. It's how anyone can experience the blessed life. And to walk away from God's ways is ruin and death. And that is exactly what is before Cain. The path of life on the one side, where he can be forgiven, and then the path of ruin and death. But Cain doesn't believe God. He doesn't believe that God means what is best for him. He doesn't believe that God is presenting to him the path of the blessed life. He doesn't believe that he can truly have joy and everlasting joy that comes from submitting to God's ways and walking according to his ways. Cain thinks he can live the blessed life apart from God. See, he's so blind and dead in his sin that he cannot see God rightly. Nor can he see himself rightly. He cannot see that he's the one who's in the wrong, not God.
One commentator writes, It takes faith to believe that God always does what is right. Cain, however, by leaving the question unanswered, shows he lacks the kind of faith that pleases God. See, unlike, unlike Abel, Cain shows that he does not have any faith in God. He disregards God and his word, and even more so, hardens his heart against God in his sin. Cain's sinful pride is, is hurt because God has rejected his offering and his efforts. And as he nurses that wounded pride of his, the bitterness and the anger toward God compounds. And now because he obviously can't do anything to God, it's now directed to, toward his brother. Verse 8 says, Cain spoke to his brother, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. See, Cain said something to his brother. Some translations have inserted in the text, you know, to fill out whatever Cain said to his brother as something like, let's go out into the field. Perhaps that's what Cain said, but it's not there in the text. But what we do know from the text is that Cain did say something to his brother Abel. And after that, we find both of them in the field. And Cain kills his brother. And the word here for kill, it's the word for intentional killing. It's not accidental killing. So really, when you think about it, Cain had a plan. This was premeditated killing. He goes and says something to his brother, and they're both then in the field, and then just at the right time, according to whatever he had plotted, he murders his brother. You know, twice in this verse, it says, his brother, his brother. In fact, in this whole section, there's quite a few times where this term for Abel is referred to as his brother, Cain's brother, his brother. And really, even here in verse 8, when it repeats, his brother, his brother, it's emphasizing that's whom Cain has murdered, his own brother. This shows the depravity of the sin nature in man. Of how sinful man has become. See, Cain has just taken the very life of another who is made in the very image of God. His own brother. A commentator states, the first death in the Bible does not come as a result of old age. 
but from murder. But from murder. That's how sinful man has become in just one generation. Now you say, why did Cain murder his brother? See, because Abel was righteous and did the right thing. Righteous meaning, uh, not meaning Abel was sinless, but that he recognized his sin and that he put, in, put his faith in God and the coming Savior and therefore he was counted as righteous. And so he did the right thing and his sacrifice was accepted by God. But Cain, on the other hand, you know, he couldn't stand it. He was filled with hatred. Cain hated the fact that Abel was righteous and he was accepted by God. In fact, Abel's righteousness would have been confronting to Cain, who simply wanted to live in his sin. I like how a commentator put it, or explained this, this bit. He writes, To Cain, Abel was an ongoing visible reminder of how he ought to be living. And Cain hates it. He does not want to live God's way. He wants to wipe God out of the picture, but he can't. So, he gets rid of God's man, his brother. End quote. See, as we think about these few verses. The New Testament has something to say about this. And we see this in 1 John 3, the same passage that we read from in our Bible reading this morning. And there's two things that I want to I highlight from these verses uh, in 1 John 3 as it relates to uh, Genesis 4. First of all, Cain is the seed of the serpent. Cain is the seed of the serpent. Look at 1 John 3.12. It reads, We should not be like Cain, who was of, notice, the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil, and his brother's righteous. In other words, Cain was a child of Satan, an offspring of the serpent. And, and the scene that we have just looked at is the war between the two offsprings. Remember, God had said that there would be enmity between the offspring of the woman and the serpent. And they were referring to spiritual offspring, and in this case, both being physical children of the woman. Abel was of the godly line, but Cain was of the ungodly line, an offspring of the serpent, spiritually speaking. And so what you see here is that the offspring of the serpent is trying to get rid of the seed of the woman. The serpent or Satan hates the godly line and he's trying to get rid of it. 
And it's the same reason why even today, the unbelieving world who reject God and his word seek to harm and torture and even kill Christians who simply want to follow the way of Jesus and proclaim him. Because of their hatred toward God, And because of the righteousness of the Christians, it convicts them of their own sin and of how they should live. And because they can't get back at God, they kill God's people and torture God's people and harm God's people. And and we learned some of the same things as we went through 1 Peter, didn't we? But that's exactly what 1 John 3 tells us. That's why the world hates us. Now the second thing that we see by way of application from 1 John 3, and we're looking at 1 John 3.10, let me just read that. It reads, By this it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And then again, 1 John 3, verses 14 and 15. We know that we have passed out of death into life. Why? Because we love the brothers. Whoever does not abide, whoever does not love, pardon me, abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. See, one of the ways in which we, as in the individual as well as the church body overall, can know that a person is a Christian is that there is a genuine love for one another. That there is a genuine love for the church body. If someone is characterized by hate, then that means that that person is not born of God. That person has not been transformed by God. Because only a person who has been transformed by God will be characterized by a love for God and his people. And so what that means is this. As believers, when we are hurt, or annoyed by someone around us. And a grudge or a hatred is welling up within us. We must be quick to put it to death. We mustn't nurse that grudge and allow it to just consume us. We must confess it before God, seek forgiveness from him through Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we must turn away from that sin. Because if we don't do that as God's children and we continue to nurse that grudge, you know what we're doing? We're essentially nursing the heart of a murderer. We're nursing the heart of Cain. We're nursing the heart of an unbeliever. And that grudge and that hatred will consume us and will cause us to turn away from God. 
See, because of our vertical relationship with God, because we have been made right with God, that affects our relationship horizontally with one another. And so that's why when things like this well up in our heart, we need to quickly confess it, turn to God, and turn away from those kind of sins instead of nursing it and and keeping it alive. But Cain, on the other hand, shows himself to be an unbeliever, an offspring of the serpent, someone who is not transformed by God, someone who loves himself, someone who loves his sin, someone who rejects God and his word and therefore continues to harden his heart in hate and therefore sees those around him in that hate as well and that's what caused him to murder his brother. So that's Cain's response to God's rejection. Now look at, let's look at God's response to Cain's rebellion, verses 9 through to 16. Let me just read verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, so he's just murdered his brother. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? I mean, again, you can't overlook the overwhelming grace and patience of the Lord. After what Cain has just done. God asked Cain a question yet again to give Cain another opportunity for him to realize his sin and to confess it and to repent from it and to turn to God. Here's another opportunity for him to soften his heart and to turn to God. But Cain doesn't confess his sin. No, he tries to cover his sin instead. Verse 9 again, he said, I don't know. I don't know, God. I don't know where my brother is. See, just like his parents, Adam and Eve, when they were lost in their sin, Cain also now does not want to take responsibility for his sin. But Cain goes one step further. While they simply made excuses, Cain blatantly lies to the Almighty God. The first lie that any human has said. With all the grace that has been shown to him, even after killing his brother, Cain tries to cover his sin by lying to the Lord and saying, I don't know. And then on top of that, Cain has the audacity to say to God, am I my brother's keeper? You know, there's a hint of cynicism here. Because it it, it literally reads, am I the keeper's keeper? That's what he actually says. And remember, Abel 
what was he? he? He was a keeper of the flocks. So Cain is now being sarcastic toward God. Abel's the keeper. I'm not the keeper. Abel's, got, Abel's the one who's got the job of caring for the flock. You expect me to do the caring too? You expect me to take care of the carer? I mean, he's the expert, isn't he? How should I know where he is? Why are you even asking me these questions? You know, that, this is Cain's attitude toward God, despite God coming to him in grace. Uh, you know, I, I really want, to, I want you to picture this, you know, the gravity of what Cain is doing here. Think for a second with me, a small tiny ant and a human being. Now when you look at these two creatures that God has made, you would say, yeah, there's a huge gap between them in, in significance and in size and everything else. You know, they're, they're worlds apart, you could say. But the gap between a human being and an ant is nothing. It's but a speck compared to the incomparable gap that exists between the greatness of the almighty God and a puny creature like man. That is who Cain is. A mere creature who is now rebelling against his almighty sovereign creator. He disregards God's word. He does his own thing thinking he can be made right with God, really showing off his own efforts. He doesn't take God's compassion and grace as God says, there's an opportunity for you to be forgiven and not go down this path of sin. Disregards God again. Nurses his own sin furthermore. Kills his brother. Then lies to God. And then now he has the nerve to say to this almighty God, Am I the keeper's keeper? See, this is a person that is so hardened by sin. Even his conscience is calloused. He feels no remorse for killing his own brother, let alone have any love for his brother. He has no fear of God. He doesn't love God. The only person that Cain loves is himself. And he has the audacity to be sarcastic with God, even challenge God with him questioning Cain. You know, now at this point, God could just strike Cain down, just dead right there. Fire or lightning or whatever, just boom, gone. And God would be perfectly just and right to do that. But God doesn't do that. God still mercifully spares Cain his life while giving him his due punishment. Verse 10. 
And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. See, Cain thought by, by lying to and, and being dismissive of God that he could somehow hide his sin. And, and because he feels no remorse for his sin, he thought, okay, I don't feel anything and, you know, I'm lying and I'm making up all these things. So he thinks he can get away with sin. But it is impossible to hide from God. It is, there's, there's never a time when you sin, there's never a time when I sin that God does not know about it. Never a time. It is an impossibility that God cannot know about that. And ultimately, we will all have to give an account to God one day for our sin. Hebrews 4.13 reads this way. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God saw exactly what Cain had done. Nothing was hidden from him. And so God says, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. See, God, God knows about Abel's murder and his death. And here, Abel's blood is, uh, is personified as though it's literally speaking. And God is saying, that blood on the ground, which is basically Abel's blood, that blood on the ground is crying out for justice, and I hear it. Now, this is a great comfort that those of us who are believers have, that God sees every injustice, every single one of them. That he will not somehow just sweep it under the rug and just kind of turn a blind eye to it. Every baby that is murdered, every person abused, every person tortured or murdered in cold blood, every saint gone past who was slaughtered for following Christ, none of them will ever go unnoticed. None of that injustice will go unnoticed. God is good and he is a just God and he will ultimately bring about his justice even if people think they can get away with it for a time. It doesn't matter what the individual thinks about their sin or how they feel about it. It doesn't matter if our human law courts rule in their favor and somehow pardon them. What matters is what God thinks about it. And he will ultimately bring about his justice. And this is a great comfort for God's children when they see injustice all around them and even when it's done to them. So Abel's blood is crying out for justice to God. And God hears it and then says to Cain, verses 11 and 12, 
and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from, from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. See, the idea is this. If you just track from Genesis 2 onwards. At first, before sin, before sin had come into the world and into the picture, the ground was always fertile. Man didn't even need to cultivate the ground. Food was freely available. But after Adam sinned, part of the judgment was that there would be thorns and weeds and man would have to toil and labor to get their food. But now in the case of Cain, because he had hardened himself against God in his sin and he intentionally murdered Abel for doing what was right, the ground was made to drink the innocent blood of Abel, so to speak. And now the ground has become defiled. And so the judgment is that the ground that is now defiled will not produce any fruit for Cain. See, Cain was a farmer and he took great pride in his work and his offering to the Lord, which is, was a reflection of his great efforts. Now that's taken away from Cain. Or as one commentator put it, Cain's green thumb is taken away. He can no longer work as a farmer. The ground will no longer yield any fruit for him, no matter how hard he tried, because he defiled it with Abel's innocent blood. And now as a result, he was banished to roam around the earth perhaps to pick up some scrap from the ground and food that may fall from trees or crops that others have grown or whatever. And he would have to just go from one place to another and never be able to settle in one place. This was God's just punishment for Cain's sinful rebellion. To be banished from the ground and be forced to live as a wanderer and a fugitive. Now, as we saw a few weeks ago, God's temporal judgments on this earth for our sin, I mean, that too we learned, right? That, that too is a grace. That the consequences for our sin while we are on this earth is a reminder to us of our sinfulness. And it's meant to cause us to continue to run to God and keep turning away from sin. That is the point of consequences. That is the point of these temporal judgments. Now think about Cain. Everywhere Cain went on earth and, and tried to farm, it wouldn't produce any fruit. No matter how much he tried, it wouldn't produce any fruit. He wouldn't get any harvest. 
And it was meant to be a reminder to Cain. Cain, you are guilty before God. You are guilty before God. You are guilty before God. It was meant to be a perpetual reminder to Cain. And even that was to then be an opportunity for Cain to repent as he faces the consequences of his sin and turn back to God. But Cain doesn't turn from his sinful ways. He still has no fear of God. He still doesn't see the grace of God. But what he's concerned about now is the pain that his just punishment will cause. Look at verse 13 and 14. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Now this is such a stark contrast between how his parents, Adam and Eve, responded to God's judgment versus how he responds or Cain responds to God's judgment. See, Adam and Eve, they, they accepted their punishment because they realized how sinful they were and they realized how just God was and good in all that he did. And yet in the midst of all these judgments, we saw that they were filled with faith that they had put their faith and trust and hope in God. Cain, on the other hand, he still hardened in his sin. And essentially what he's saying to God is, God, your punishment is not fair. Yes, you know, when you read this, Cain certainly has some remorse, but it's not remorse for his sin. He's not saying, my sin is great, please forgive me, Lord, and I will accept whatever you give me as your punishment, for you are good and you are just. No, his remorse is that his, the punishment that God is giving him is too great to bear. This is just self-pity, not a brokenness over sin, not a regard for God. You know, it's interesting that Cain, as he elaborates on God's punishment almost point by point, at the end of verse 14, he even gives a concern. And, and he says, whoever finds me will kill me. And he say, well, who are these other people? Well, I would say this most likely indicates that there are already other people. Children of Adam and Eve, his, his brothers and sisters. And, and perhaps he, he's even thinking of future, that as Adam and Eve will have more children, or as his brothers and sisters will have their own children. See, because they would all know of Cain, their relative who killed Abel, who simply did the right thing. That they would want to kill Cain for what he had done. That is what is on Cain's mind now. I, I, I just find this so ironic. 
Cain is concerned that others will do to him what he has just done to his brother Abel. The one who didn't want to be his brother's keeper is concerned that now he has no keeper. Oh, the irony of it. And even the blindness to his sin even now. But this is what is just so, so staggering. You know, you, you would think at this point God would really do something. And God does something, but what he does to him even here is show him more grace. Look at verse 15. Then the Lord said to him, not so, as in whoever finds me will kill me. No, that's not going to happen. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who find him should attack him. Uh, this sevenfold here that's talked about, it's the idea of perfection or completion. God is saying that there will be complete vengeance according to what they have done. If, you know, if anyone tries to kill you, then they will get what is due them. Complete vengeance, complete punishment will be given to them. And then the Lord puts a mark on Cain. Now we don't know what the mark, mark was. I even tried to do some reading and, you know, most had no idea. And even some who tried to explain it just, yeah, it didn't make sense and it was certainly not biblical. But whatever this mark was, it was something that was visible for people to see. It was something that was there on the outside. Where people would see Cain and they would know what it meant. And so people would just leave Cain alone. Nobody would dare to touch him. And really, if you, if you think about it, even this mark that God has put on Cain, it would have served as a reminder to Cain of his utter sinfulness. Because that's why he needs God's protection, right? So it would have been a reminder to Cain of both his utter sinfulness, but also of God's abounding grace to him. Every day it would have been a reminder to him with this mark that he had, as he was marked by God. Does Cain repent? Does he turn to God? This is what verse 16 says. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. You know this name Nod? You know what it means? It means wandering. That's what Nod means. Cain settles in the land of wandering. Think about this. Cain was punished 
to wander around the earth. But Cain, instead of wandering around the earth, as God said, this is what you are going to be doing. Cain instead settles in the land of wandering. It's as though Cain is saying, God, you want me to wander? Here you go. I'm in the land of wandering. That's how much wandering I'm going to do. Take that, God. Again, an act of defiance and rebellion. And it says, he settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And in Genesis, this eastward movement is a movement of moving away from God. It's showing that Cain wants nothing to do with God. That he willfully is choosing to rebel and sin against God despite the repeated grace, despite the abounding grace that God has shown to him. I wonder if there's anyone listening this morning who's just going through the motions, but you know, you've, you've not put your full trust in Jesus. You've not submitted to your life to Jesus and his good rule. I wonder if there's anyone who's listening today that is in this state. You know, perhaps on the outside, everything looks fine. But on the inside, you know that you are simply living your life for yourself. You don't have any fear of God. You don't really want to live under his good rule. No, you want to live your life on your terms. And that is the path of ruin. Let me tell you this, while you might be able to hide your life and your heart from perhaps everyone around you, you can never hide your heart and your sin from God. Never. And yet, hear me, and yet the fact that you are alive right now and listening to this, the fact that God has allowed you to take another breath and you are actually listening to this message is a testimony of God's grace to you just like he was gracious to Cain. Romans 2.4 says this, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Do not harden your heart against God and go the way of Cain. Sin will only consume you more. It will promise a blessed life, but it is the path of ruin. Turn to God and beg him for mercy. You see, this God who is so just is also a God who is abounding in mercy and in grace. 
It is precisely because God knows that you and I in our sinful state cannot do anything to change ourselves. God in His grace and His mercy sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come into this world as a human being, to die on the cross, to pay the just punishment for sinners like you and me. And then he rose on the third day, providing now a way by which vile sinners like you and me can be made right with a holy God. Today is the day for you to turn to Christ and see see what he has done on the cross. It is only there, it is only with Jesus Christ Him on the cross where you will find forgiveness. This is the only way you can be made right with God. There is no other way for you to be made right with God. Turn to Jesus and receive forgiveness from your sin. And if you believe, then turn from your sin and keep turning to Jesus and live under his word, which is nothing but the Bible. Live according to God's word, and that is the evidence that you truly have put your trust in Jesus, and that you are not trusting in yourself. This daily turning away from your sin and your wicked heart, and turning to Jesus. For those of us who are believers, the story of Cain is really the story about us, but without Christ. We were exactly in the same place as Cain, with exactly the same heart. Perhaps we didn't murder someone, but we had the exact same heart and the same attitude toward God. We were so lost and dead in our sin. But God, in his wonderful grace and mercy, he transformed us, made us alive so that we can now live for him and enjoy him for who he is. And, and it is our pleasure to, to live according to his ways now. Let us never forget that undeserved grace that has been shown to us. Because if, we, if it were purely up to us, we would simply go the way of Cain. May we be more thankful each day for his grace and may it cause us to want to share the good news of Jesus Christ to those who are still lost in sin. Let's pray together. Oh Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. While we were yet sinners, while we yet rebelled against you, Christ died for us. We thank you that you replaced our stone-cold hearts, rebellious hearts, with hearts that now are transformed, with natures that are new, that can respond to you, that can live for you, that can do what is right in your eyes. And we thank you so much for that. We thank you, Father, that this was not possible by our own efforts, 
But this was made possible because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because he died on our behalf. Because he was judged. Because he was slaughtered instead of us. Father, we thank you so much for this and we pray that we would never lose sight of what you have done for us in and through Christ. We pray that we would each day live in the joy of that and it would cause us to live more so according to your ways and it would also cause us to further want to share the good news of Jesus Christ to those who continue to be lost in their sin. And we pray all this in the precious name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.